Welcome, fantastic friends, to the new episode of the Fancast at Four podcast, the number one Fantastic Four fan casting podcast on the internet. Presumably. Even exclusively. I'm Dan Bettenhausen. And I am Jack Mayer. And we're your hosts as we venture into the what-ifs of Marvel's first family, will be appearing in Phase 6 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. With Matt Shackman set to direct the MCU's Fantastic Four film, we still can explore what it would be like if a different director was behind the camera and who might they cast. This week, our featured filmmaker is a Mexican film director, producer, and screenwriter whose films tend to explore or reframe fairy tale and or horror stories. He includes a blend of beauty and grotesque imagery, and he also has employed many different visual styles and practical effects. He has won three Academy Awards and three BAFTAs with films in three different categories. Best International Film, Best Picture, and most recently, Best Animated Film. He is a regular collaborator with actors Ron Perlman and Doug Jones, and he, along with friends Alfonso Cuaron and Alejandro Iñárritu, are collectively known as the Three Amigos of Cinema. This week, you're featuring director Guillermo del Toro. Jack, among the other stuff we've just talked about, anything else come to mind when you think about Guillermo del Toro? I mean, it's the visuals. It's gorgeous, gorgeous cinema on any kind of level. Like, I'm going to have a lot more to say when we get into our films for Del Toro, but there's no denying that he is a master of how to create a shot that looks like a painting. And when you think about his creatures, his characters, monsters, like, they're always fascinating to look at. And despite typically employing said practical effects they look real or they they at least don't look hokey which i mm-hmm. think is very important um additionally one thing i i find fascinating about him is while he certainly has some original ideas that he's written he's also a master at taking established stories like those fairy tales and putting his own spin on it you don't see a lot of frame for frame word for word retelling of stories but he takes the heart of a story and makes it his own uh, and you can definitely see that in at least a couple of the ones we're about to talk about to this day the movie that i wish i could see that has never made is his version of the hobbit his two movies that he was going to make not three but two movies with a distinct visual style different from lord of the rings but still keeping in a similar spirit but being a little bit more faithful to the book. I don't know if you've seen any of like the concept art from the amount of time that he spent working on his version of The Hobbit, but I think those would have been Academy Award-winning films on the level of Lord of the Rings had he made them instead of the crap that we got. <laughs> I have not seen them. I will as soon as we're done recording because I can just envision his version of a Hobbit, of an elf, of uh, Gollum. All of Smaug. Totally. Yeah, I'd love to see him get a shot at that world, and it's a shame that we hadn't. Granted, I love the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings films, but unfortunately... uh, The Hobbit sucks. Yeah. They're very not good. So I think that this is a very good segue into our first segment, which is four fantastic films. Here we will discuss four great films directed by Guillermo del Toro. We're going to start in 2004 with Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy. Dan, you want to take this one? Yeah, this one came out of kind of nowhere for me. Like I was not familiar with the source material, the graphic novels that they were based on. And it was a big surprise, very pleasant surprise. You have all those, despite it being like, a, I'd say considered a superhero movie, it is through and through a Guillermo del Toro movie first. You have, Absolutely. You have those monsters, those creatures, um, a very heartfelt 
love story between Ron Perlman's Hellboy and Selma Blair's character. And I think while you have some of his his previous works, especially uh, the Spanish language films, and then you get Blade Two, but that's still a sequel. And I don't think he's really a name yet, at least in the American markets. This one really kind of put him into the stratosphere, taking this lesser known comic book character and really putting him in the limelight for the better. Yeah, this was definitely the movie that sort of launched him into the mainstream stratosphere. And of course, he followed this up with Pan's Labyrinth. He followed this up with a fairly successful sequel as well. Full disclosure, I saw the David Harbour Hellboy before I saw these. And that movie was so bad that it made me go back and watch these movies. And thank God I did, because I would have a very different idea of Hellboy if I had just seen the David Harbour version. And I also, I do think it's interesting that, like, Yes, it's Ron Perlman as Hellboy, but it's Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I think that that is something very worth noting in Guillermo del Toro's career is that he is always the star of his movies. It's it's the it's the environments that he creates are so distinctly del Toro that like you go to see his movies for him. And this might be oxymoronic, but he is an extremely humble star of his own movies absolutely i don't think he does it to put himself in the limelight he is just so damn good at it that it's hard not to say oh yep there's there's del toro you can see his fingerprints all over this absolutely even in the stuff he produces like you still see like the little hints of him coming in there and i think this is the first film where we see both his the collaborators we've talked about earlier ron perlman and doug jones getting in there you have again ron Perlman as uh, the titular Hellboy, and then you have Doug Jones as the body of his sidekick, Abe Sapien. One interesting fact about this is Abe Sapien is actually voiced by Frazier's David Hyde Pierce, who played Frazier's brother Niles, but he requested to go uncredited because he wanted the credit to go to Doug Jones and his body performance mm-hmm. for the role, which I thought was- That is fascinating. Yeah, I think very interesting. And that might come up a little bit later when we bring that up. But And uh, again, talking about that sort of idea of humbleness, that seems to be the sort of environment that he fosters on a set. For sure. And like you brought it up. I don't want to go into too much more detail, but I do think the sequel is actually probably the superior movie just because he gets a bigger budget. He gets more. And some directors, when you get more, it's less. When you give Guillermo del Toro more, it's typically much more. And you get that with Hellboy 2. Well, uh, let's jump ahead a couple years to 2013 with Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. This movie came out when I was 11. So it was perfect for you, I am. <laughs> it was the exact right movie at the exact right time for me. I think I saw this movie twice in theaters. This is a very stupid movie. Referring back to our previous episode that we recorded, it is so dumb. Okay, no, I'm going I'm going to argue with here you here for a moment. It is a stupid movie. It is not a dumb movie. I think the stupid is needed for this movie. You need the camp, the cheese, the dumb if this movie is ever going to work. Whereas in the, the, past, the I, dumb, the dumb though, you said you yes, said the but dumb. I, I just want to I want to make sure we're distinguishing between why we called the last episode's films dumb compared to this movie being called dumb. This is the most James Cameron Del Toro movie that has ever been made. 
I, I, if, I if you took, if you told me James Cameron made this movie, I would not be surprised. And I love it. I genuinely love Pacific Rim. I I think that again, it looks beautiful. It's oh, yeah. such a pleasing movie to look at. You're looking at giant robots fighting giant monsters. It's like, anime, it's Power Rangers, it's Godzilla all thrown into one one pot. And it's surrounded by people who can't act to save no. their life. No, but I to think save their life. Charlie Hunnam is terrible, terrible in this movie, and I love it. The people who are so committed to it, I think, know what's up. Idris Elba, tonight we're canceling the apocalypse. Perfect. <laughs> Only he could deliver that line with make it so believable. You have Charlie Day as like the spastic scientist ron perlman as like the great kaiju organ harvester and black great organ. casting so it is good so good i i'm probably gonna rewatch this movie yeah, within I, the next I couple days now after talking that. about this it's so good and it's despite so good despite the cg fest that it is the action is fun the 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 loose plot like you kind of have this hero's journey loosely through it but it's fun watching these big fucking robots fight these big fucking monsters for what an hour and a half, maybe hour, and hour, and it minutes. looks pretty. Like yes. that's the thing is that like there's a lot of action, but it's comprehensible action. I you understand everything that's going on. Everything's in camera. There's like not a ton of quick cutting. It's just it's so visually pleasing. It's eye candy. It's eye candy and it's ear candy. One thing that I also love about this movie are the stupid names that the Jaegers or the giant mechs are given. What do we have? We have uh, Gypsy Danger. Gypsy Danger, yep. Matador Fury. Chrome Brutus. Crimson Typhoon. Designed to be toys. Uh, Mammoth Apostle. Echo Saber. Tacit Ronin. I could keep going. I could just list all these names. They're so dumb and I love them. They, they but, literally sound like Power Rangers characters. And shout, shout out Multiverse. And then I think looking back to Hellboy, this is the perfect example of the sequel not working because Guillermo is not behind uh, in the director's chair now. Mm-hmm. Hellboy 2 worked great. And again, not to, I'm going to going back to the David Harbour Hell, Hellboy. One of two movies I've walked out on in the middle of. I hated really? it. Really? So you walked much. out of that movie? Yeah, I hated it so much. I mean, it was bad, but I didn't no, walk out. We'll talk we can talk more about why I hated it later. We don't need to bore the audience with it. But with Pacific Rim 2, yeah, it was fun, fine, whatever. But like it was it had none of the charm. It wasn't Pacific that, Rim. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't Del Toro's Pacific no, Rim. No. It had none of, yeah, it had none of his fingerprints over it it was just a same world not the same heart well if you want to talk about a movie with heart let's jump ahead to 2017's the shape of water which of course won best picture and also won del toro best director at the oscars i have some thoughts on this movie but i want to hear yours first dan i liked it going in i saw it a little later than when it came like it was i think a re uh, release in theaters i didn't see it on its initial but i saw it like right before the academy awards were going so i could try and catch all of them i enjoyed it it while it certainly is a del toro movie it felt a little different being more of a love story focus uh compared to like the action or the horror that you typically get those are certainly sprinkled in there but 
the relationship between Sally Hawkins's character and the creature are way more at the forefront. I think my issue isn't necessarily fair because there are, looking at the list of nominees it was up against that year, there are at least six movies I probably would rank higher than Shape of Water uh, from that year alone. Maybe seven. I think, pro- yeah, probably the only one I wouldn't rank above it is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Didn't like that well, movie. Well, that's where we disagree. You would rank I, Darkest Hour above Shape okay, of Water? Okay, no, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, fine. That That's where I was, I was debating between that one. Um, fine. Two of them I like less than Shape of Water. But I will say it's, I like Shape of Water. It's, the other two were just less so. So it was a fantastic year for movies. Uh, it's just there were a handful that I thought were instant classics that should have won between Dunkirk, Call Me By Your Name, Get Out, Lady Bird. Um, those are the ones that come to mind most. Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread, yes, yeah, certainly. So I think this is a movie that is hurt by it winning the Oscar. I think it would probably be more well-received post-ceremony if it hadn't won. But with that said, I think Del Toro was certainly deserving of Best Director. I don't think this was a legacy win. I think if he was the best, I don't know, but his directing was still top-notch enough to earn the award. I agree with your analysis of its Best Picture win. I think in one of the strongest years that we've ever seen for movies, it was not necessarily deserving of that title. Uh, even movies that were nominated, even movies that weren't nominated for Best Picture, I, Tanya, Blade Runner 2049, I thought were better than The Shape of Water. But it also features some of the most bad faith internet criticism that I've ever seen. Totally. Uh, the, calling it the fish fucking movie is so reductive. 100%. That being said, this is also around when I really started to get actively interested in filmmaking and mm-hmm. analyzing films. And... One of the problems that I found with this movie and what I found in a lot of Del Toro movies that I've watched both before and since then is that he's a really cold filmmaker for me. And I mean that I never connect with the characters that he writes. I always feel like I am looking at them as though they're characters, not as though they're people. And maybe that's a feature and not a bug but i have just never been able to really click with del toro characters i've never really been able to become fully immersed in a lot of what he makes like i appreciate it so much from a visual perspective and i think that a lot of the writing is generally really strong but there's just always something missing in character for me in all of his movies. Yeah, I can't say I disagree. I feel like there are some exceptions, at least with individual characters in some movies, but I'd say as a whole, kind of looking through his um, filmography, I don't want to say it comes to the point of him being cynical about people, because that's really that doesn't feel like him. But yeah, it feels like we're kind of looking at rather than through people if that makes mm-hmm. any sort of sense. That does. And I think, especially with, with this one, you have the harder task because one of the main characters is not a human being. Not to say that that precludes you from having sort any sort of empathy or human understanding of them, but there's just that extra layer then that makes it a little more challenging to try and relate with 
that character. I, I agree with that. That also being said, I think the characters of his that I'm most emotionally connected with are not human characters. They're clay characters. So we're going to jump ahead to his most recent Academy Award win uh, last Sunday at the time of recording. 2022's Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I loved this movie. I really loved this movie. Yeah, this movie was wonderful. It's so good. Only problem that I have with it is that the songs are a little weak. Yeah. That's it. Like, the characters work so well here for me. The world is beautiful. Who knew Del Toro was so good at stop motion? We should have known, but we didn't. (laughs) It's, and I also give a lot of, uh, I know he, I don't, I don't have his name right in front of me. But I know he had a stop motion director who I want to make sure we're getting. Mark Gustafson. Thank you. Thank you. Who I want to give a ton of credit to here. But what Del Toro was able to do, conversely from the conversation we just had, to get some of the voice acting performances he did from people, Tilda Swinton was great. Kate Blanchett as a freaking monkey was. Bazzatura. Yeah. Excellent. Insane. Italian for trash, I believe. Yes. David Bradley as uh, Geppetto. Absolutely wonderful if, casting. You if, McGregor as Sebastian J. Cricket. If there was, I'll say, gendered awards for act, like voice acting at the Academy Awards, I feel like David Bradley should have won Best Actor. Jenny Slate should have won Best Actress from Marcel the Shell. If yeah, a movie right. was going to win Best Animated Film over Marcel the Shell, I'm glad it was Pinocchio. Exactly. It um, is by far the second best animated film that I saw in 2022 and the best fully animated film that i saw in 2022 100% like i said both again this isn't a marcel shell conversation but both that and pinocchio were top five movies of the year for me and both were top five top 20 movies of the decade so far for me i think so good incredible and just it goes to show the ability that stop motion has like i like plenty of pixar in the cg kind of animation but i think there's just a little bit extra magic to well done stop motion because mm-hmm. you, you, you get. feel you feel the effort that the all of the animators put into it and the other thing that i really like and this is small in terms of the movie but big in terms of what it meant to do this he put all of the animators in the main credits before the cast. And like, that's just so great that he's just making sure that these people who worked their asses off to make this movie look as wonderful as it did are getting the credit they deserve. I know that this is tough for people because one, it's now been on Netflix for a little bit and two, Netflix doesn't necessarily release the movies in every movie theater, but if you have the opportunity ever to see this in a movie theater, take it because it is gorgeous on the big screen. One thing I just personal anecdote, I will give this. I don't like Pinocchio, the the original Disney movie. I didn't see the new Tom Hanks led one. I didn't see the the Drew Carey TV movie Geppetto. Uh, Did you see the Roberto Benigni one from 2020? I, I did not. I did not see that one either. This is the first Pinocchio story I truly liked. True, I'll say even loved. I love this movie. And again, I think that's a credit to the animators and Guillermo del Toro and his 
uh, leadership on the movie. There's probably more we could keep saying about Guillermo del Toro films, but I think this is a time to get into our fantastic castings here. Yes, right afterwards. <laughs> there was no, there was no break here whatsoever. No delay at all. <laughs> None whatsoever. Um, here, right on the money, each of us will be casting the four main members of the Fantastic Four: Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Johnny Storm, Ben Grimm, and their nemesis, Doctor Doom, with an actor or actress. Guillermo del Toro has worked with previously and who has not had a major role in the MCU. Jack, as always, I'm going to turn it over to you with your cast first. Absolutely. So uh, for my Reed Richards, I picked Ewan McGregor, who uh, just recently voiced Sebastian J. Cricket in Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. It's a fantastic actor. If I haven't cast him already in one of my Fantastic Four movies, I was doing something wrong. I have previously in one or two, but yeah, I think Mm. this is the first time you have. This time he is my choice. As my Sue Storm, uh, initially I was going to cast Kate Blanchett, but then I realized that oh, she's been in the MCU. Uh, She was great in the MCU, but I just forgot completely. So I switched that and I'm going to have my Sue Storm be Mary Steenburgen. Fantastic actress i know her best from stepbrothers to be fully oh, honest yeah, yeah, that's where she really stood out for me and then i think uh also she is the wife of ted danson for those who don't know i think she is a severely underrated actress so i'm excited to see her kind of step into what's presumably a more action role rather than like some the drama independent films comedies so i'm excited to see what you have in store for mary seabergen so as johnny storm her younger brother i picked the what i would say would be the most obvious casting for a del toro johnny storm uh from pacific rim charlie day uh star creator of it's always sunny in philadelphia upcoming luigi in the mario brothers movie Ooh. <laughs> Uh, I think he would actually be a perfect shoddy storm. I, I think that, you know, he's got a little bit of that hot-headed humor that I feel like would work really well. And then as my Ben Grimm, I picked the guy that Guillermo del Toro loves putting in makeup. Obviously, Doug Jones is my Ben Grimm. He will, of course, have a completely practical The Thing suit, similar to Michael Chiklis's in the Tim Story Fantastic Four films, but looking a lot better. Oh, yes, please. And then as Dr. Doom, one of my favorite actors ever who I think gave an Oscar worthy turn in the film knives out Michael Shannon. I did not eat one iota of shit. How about some more cookies? He's I mean, so good. Just being such one, a slime ball, but two charming. Like I find him to be a quite like an interesting, weird little guy. And who doesn't I, give a shit what roles he takes. Like, he is like, yeah, I want that one. I want that. Despite how garbage the movie might be, like Bullet Train. Sorry for those of you who like Bullet Train. But, like, but also, if you like Bullet Train, what are you doing? Right. But, like, he came out of nowhere in that movie with the weirdest friggin' accent. I'm like, but, okay, that's just Michael Shannon doing what he wants. Mm-hmm. But I think he'd be a great Doom. I think legitimately he could be cast as a Doctor Doom and it would make sense. I agree with that. Dan, let's hear yours. Yeah, looking at my cast, I it changed around a few times, but then when I for Reed Richards, uh, I'm going with an actor who starred in 2021's Nightmare Alley. I say starred, I think he had a brief role. I'm casting David Strathairn, who 
when you look at the guy, he looks like he could have he could be Reed Richards, like comic comic to actor. Like I think legitimately he has the look. Oh, um, I see that. Yeah, and while the they're going to be a little older, it's going to be a little older Fantastic Four, um, in a sense. At least Reed Richards and Sue Storm will be, and maybe Doctor Doom. Sorry, I'm a little over. Like I said, cast has changed a lot, but I think David Strathairn, especially if you look at his work in like Good Night and Good Luck, I think very Reed Richards there. For Sue Storm, I'm going to go with someone Jack has cast previously, also starring in Nightmare Alley, and that's Tony Collette. I don't know how much more we can say about Tony Collette. She's a great actress. I think she would have good chemistry with David Strathairn um, in a romantic role. I think she can play a mother very well. And yeah, I mean, Talking more about how great Tony Collette is feels like spitting in the wind because mm-hmm. I think we all should know that. She, everybody knows how wonderful she is. For Johnny Storm, I'm kind of going the reverse. I'm going with a much younger actor compared to the two that I previously cast. And I'm casting an actor who had uh, a voice role in 2022's Pinocchio. Uh, you all probably know him most from Stranger Things, but that's Finn Wolfhard. It's very intentional for at least this story that I'm making him so much younger than his sister. Uh, I will admit here now that there's probably going to be some uh, canon deviations with this iteration that Del Toro is going to be playing with in this fictionalized pitch that I'm about to do. That being said, I think Finn Wolfhard, if they end up, if the MCU ends up doing a younger Fantastic Four, would actually be a fantastic choice for Johnny Storm. Yeah, like like you said about Charlie, I think he has has the ability to have that ferocity, that that rage, that fire, but also that kind of witty cockiness to him as well. So yeah, I, I really liked when this opportunity came about to cast him. For Ben Grimm, I really like what you and I both did here. We took someone who, we each have taken someone that Guillermo del Toro works with regularly and cast them as Ben Grimm, you with Doug Jones, but I have cast uh, Ron Perlman and I think both are, both are fantastic choices. I think both give a different would give a different angle to it. Admittedly, I feel like I want that Hellboy kind of performance from my Ben Grimm in this film I'm pitching. So that's why I went with Perlman. Again, very going to be very done up. And then finally for Doctor Doom, I'm going to cast someone who we had mentioned previously. That is again Niles himself, David Hyde Pierce. I want kind of an older defeat, kind of defeated Doom in here. And if you ever watch Seinfeld, like Niles is very kind of a very kind of a pessimist in a lot of ways. So I want to play off that energy as well. In theory, we could do what happened with Hellboy, where it's Doug Jones doing the body work and him just voicing it because he might just be wearing a mask the whole time. But I was really doing my best to get David Hyde Pierce cast in here and actually credited unlike he was in hellboy i love david hyde pierce so much i I saw him on broadway like five or six years ago he's a fantastic Mm -hmm. actor and i feel like the way that again you're telling it like dr was like this old worn out curmudgeon nobody plays that better (laughs) than david hyde pierce but yeah top to bottom i really like uh the cast both of us have put together I like your cast a lot, uh, and with that, it is now time to pitch our Guillermo del Toro Helm Fantastic Four films. Before we get into those pitches, I'm going to ask our standard questions. Uh, Jack, first, is your film an origin film? It is not. Part of mine mentions it. Okay. Like it is It is 
like not long after the origin for for part of mine and got it see what i mean when i say part uh secondly is it part of the mcu yes it is mine could be it's not intentionally part of the mcu but uh i'm not going to be doing a lot of tying into the whole mcu world either with with this Mm -hmm. To be honest, neither is mine, but it does take place at least in the beginning in the MCU. Cool. Um, With those questions asked, as always, Jack, I'm going to turn it over to you with your pitch. All right, here we go. So my pitch begins uh, in a classic Fantastic Four battle. Uh, You know, the four are all fighting Doctor Doom. They're working together, fighting enough Doom bots left and right. Everything seems to be going their way when suddenly explosion happens behind reed looks around sue looks around dr doom seems unconcerned with what's going on his focus is all on the four reed's yelling at him to shut something down we don't know really what's going on and then suddenly without warning every single member of the fantastic four is sucked away into a portal and suddenly reed richards wakes up looks at his hand it's clay we are now in a multiverse where the Fantastic Four and Doctor Doom are claymation. And the rest of the film is going on a super, like, prototypical hero's journey as the four are battling against Doctor Doom and his clay little Doom bots trying to get back to get to their universe. I don't know, Dan, if you're familiar with the TV show Community. Oh, I I am. I'm imagining it's very similar to Abed's Uncontrollable Christmas, uh, but also similar to the Adam Driver 2023 classic 65. I I was wondering if that was going to come up because I know you just saw that before we started recording and we've talked about it just now. uh, Yes. So it's like it's a lot like that where it's just the, the main goal of the film is getting back to this place that will restore them to their mcu universe but obviously they're fighting dr doom throughout and their challenges and obstacles that they face of the force split up at a certain point but we get to the end of act two where it seems like the four are going to come together again they're going to rally and then they realize something not only are they clay they don't have control over their actions it's like they're being maneuvered by someone like a puppet master because twist we find out that puppet master played by michael stuhlbarg who was in the shape of water uh has been controlling this fantastic for and who also had though he was in the doctor strange movies we are not qualifying that as a major role he is that was not at all a major role he was in that movie for two minutes both both of them very briefly like he is severely underused in those films anyway sorry Mm -hmm. for interrupting but he but also in this universe he's our puppet master because this is a different multiverse from the mcu the Fantastic Four figure out a way to start controlling their own actions. They defeat Doctor Doom, they defeat Puppet Master, and they go back to their universe with Doctor Doom in handcuffs, arrested, all that. They get back there, and they've returned to humans. Or so they think. Because they look over, they see that Ben Grimm is still claymation, but he's big now. He's like normal size, but he's just claymation. Uh, and that's where we leave it off. 
I know this isn't an accurate title, but the whole time I was just thinking the fan plastic for was all the only thing going through my head that whole time. That's really good. I mean, I know it's clay and not plastic, but like that's just what was running through my head. Like, how no, I, 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 I see the vision. I, I, I trust me, I see the vision. Right. No, that that's great. I mean, I hope it's better than sixty-five. I really do. Well, there are so few things that are in this world that like <laughs> I don't. I, I would I would try. I would really have to try. But if anyone can do it, it's Guillermo del Toro. Right. Right. Yeah. If he can make something as good, if not better than sixty-five, I trust Guillermo del Toro to do it. <laughs> what a what a what a film, Dan. If you haven't seen it, it's a movie. It's certainly a movie. It's it's eighty-seven minutes long. Oh yeah, you you will you will have the rest of your afternoon mm-hmm. to do whatever you want after you, you see know, it. No, it it was produced by Sam Raimi. It was directed by the guys who wrote A Quiet Place. I'm just stating facts about the movie because right. I can't. Not not, not endorsements, just facts about it. Just facts. Like these these just things that are. Adam Driver about this is film. in the whole thing. If you like Adam Driver. He's in this movie. He is in this film. Calling it a film. Just really, I, I, I realize I should have added like a subplot into my fantastic <laughs> horror movie about like a clay meteor about to hit. Oh dear lord! Fantastic horror. Yeah. Well, thank you for that pitch, Jack. Like I said, I hope I do hope it lives up to everything we're trying to uh, make it live up to. But you know, for my pitch. We, we had some similar thoughts, not with the claymation, but maybe with some characters that show up. But as we mentioned before, Guillermo del Toro's won awards for Best Picture, Best International Film, and Best Animated Film. I want to get him an award for Best Live Action Short now. I thought you were going to do Best Documentary. <laughs> that would be kidding. The Fantastic Four behind the scenes. We are going to do like a 2007 Quentin Tarantino grindhouse version. So it's two films that are double featured together when you go see them at the theater. Trying to get Guillermo, you know, Best Live Action Short now just to add to his ever-growing list of accolades and honors. Keep the list going. Right, right, why not? Imagine what he could do in a short amount of time with what he does in a large amount of time. I think it'd be insane. So for the first story, it's called Heart of Stone, a Fantastic Four story. And this story really focuses on Ben Grimm, not long after the events of their origin. They go through like the uh, the radiation in space, come back with powers. Ben had been in a relationship with someone, but she was too horrified by his look that she left him. So Ben's really down in the dumps, like getting into fights. You know, he's still doing the superhero thing, but like the fact that uh, he's a lot of self hatred and feeling like no one's gonna besides you know Reed, Sue, Johnny really are gonna care about him, really gets him depressed. Eventually, he uh, meets Alicia Masters, this blind sculpture artist who would be played by Rooney Mara, who was also in Nightmare Alley. And really, this whole story is just kind of playing out their relationship, kind of their origin that we get in the comics. Alicia Masters, just a little bit of history for all of you, she was um, the father of a man named Jacob, whose partner, Philip Masters, the puppet master, killed him in a lab accident and then adopted Alicia. And so the puppet master is Alicia Master's father, or at least adopted father. Throughout this whole thing, there have been stories where 
Sue Storm, like he tries to replace Alicia or Sue Storm with Alicia to get back to the Fantastic Four. So we're going to get a little bit of that. But really, this is just quiet, intimate story about superheroes finding love. You get a little bit of Shape of Water in there. You get a little bit of Hellboy in there. And I'm kind of taking influences from those two films to build this short film about Ben and Alicia coming together. And as the puppet master, I have David Bradley voiced uh, Geppetto in Pinocchio. One, I think he would, he did a fantastic job in that movie. Again, another puppet master as well. One of the best voices ever. So good. And if you don't know David Bradley from Pinocchio, he was uh, Filch in the Harry Potter films. Uh, he was Walder Frey in Game of Thrones. Yeah, so he he's that kind of he's not quite oh that guy because I think he's been in some pretty big pop culture phenomena. But having him come in being a small a small but important role in this first short film especially again being another adopted father playing off some Pinocchio too so we got Pinocchio we got Hellboy we got Shape of Water all kind of taking influence on this for a short film the second one is called Wildfire again also taking place uh, not long after the origin of the Fantastic Four however rather than Johnny Storm being closer in age to Sue I kind of look at it and maybe he's like a stepbrother, a very young stepbrother who sneaked his way onto the ship, like stowed away, and that's how he got it. So now he's this younger kid dealing with these powers, especially this combustible powers. So I have, I kind of imagine the story being him getting back, Reed and Sue are very angry with him. So he runs off to try and, you know, because he's a teenager at this point, dealing with both like fire powers, having new powers, the hormones of a teenager and dealing with all of that. And uh, the ramifications of like his emotional health, his physical health, the people around him dealing with like catching things on fire by accident, because he doesn't know how to control his powers. And then I see Doom coming in and playing a part, trying to be, trying to manipulate him, be this nice father figure when really he wants to use Johnny for his own purposes. And then eventually Reed and Sue, uh, they make amends with Johnny. And yeah, like I said, that's the general pitch. I'm not looking to do this expansive thing because these are shorter films. They're also pretty influenced by stories we've already seen from Guillermo del Toro. However, Mm -hmm. uh, where I know I've done some kind of facsimiles in the past, these i think are are enough influence that and tropes more so that that we all kind of know and have seen in other films too that uh, i didn't feel a full big old script was needed because i think we all kind of get the idea of um again johnny storm is kind of the pinocchio character in this situation so it's definitely leaning more on the pinocchio stuff than that first one, even though there's still some of that influence. Um, So yeah, those are the two shorts. Nothing too crazy expansive because I do think they kind of speak for themselves and I didn't want to just, you know, go off on this whole thing that we've heard before with some of these stories. Uh, I'd rather let you all use your imagination, which I think Guillermo del Toro is good at letting people let their imagination run wild. Absolutely. Well, I would watch both of those. Thank you. And hopefully he'd win, you know, best live action short, whatever year it came. Exactly. I think I think he would. He he's got he's got the he's got the reach in the academy at this point. People like him enough. For sure. Mm-hmm. Well, there you have it. Those are our fan castings and pitches for a Guillermo del Toro Fantastic Four film. We hope you, the listener, enjoyed our exploration into these what if scenarios. 
We want to make a special note that the Fancast at Four podcast is hosted for free on Spotify Podcast, formerly Anchor, and we encourage you, if you have your own idea, to check it out. It is really a great resource for getting your idea off the ground. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. If you are listening on YouTube, we would greatly appreciate you hitting the subscribe button and commenting with who your Guillermo del Toro cast would be on what you thought of our lists and pitches and on which director you'd like to see next. I also want to thank Matt Hart and Maddie Gunner for their fantastic theme music they created for us. And I want to thank all of you again for listening. I'm Dan Bettenhausen. And I'm Jack Mayer, and we hope you all stay fantastic.